there you go. Thank you. What we have here is a nice generic 2024 picture, uh, fitting the diversity things that we like, uh, of people uh, giving and receiving gifts. Um, so great 2024 picture of that. Um, if you were to look at the expressions on people's face, uh, what, what's a word that would describe what you see in the people's face? Uh, happiness, contentment, gratitude. Uh, but there's one word that might sum up what some people's face is the word delight. I think delight is sort of this broad term that describes the sort of things that happen in experiences like this. When you get a gift, when you receive a gift, that sense of delight in that. But there's more besides just delight in the fact that there's gift giving happen here. There's a deeper level of delight, I would argue, that's happening in this picture. And it's actually delight in the relationship. The gift is the initial spark of receiving delight, of course. But the delight, the lasting experience, what carries over after this gift exchange happens with this group is uh, relationship. And what really is the sense of happiness and contentment of satisfaction that happens here is, is in the fact that they are in relationship with one another. When I give a gift or receive a gift, sure, I'm delighted in that gift. Uh, but the delight really sort of gets reinforced by the fact that I received a gift from someone who really knows me. And even when that gift, let's say, breaks apart one day, it's still in the fact that I, I remember gifts I received from my mother that I don't play with anymore. Well, maybe I do. But uh, I don't play with as much as I used to. And yet, what I remember is not so much like, wow, I can't believe, I'm, not, I'm not angry that the gift doesn't last. I remember the fact that my mother really understood me and knew me and gave me that gift. Similar in when you give a gift to someone else, right? The delight you have, I mean, you're giving it away. You don't keep it. What's the delight there? It's seeing the reception of that gift. It's the relationship, really, that's behind, I might say, the most lasting experiences of delight we have, what really undergirds what true delight is. In the most healthy and mature relationships, delight is found in one another. And in the most healthy and mature relationships, delight is found even if there's no gift-giving happening. Delight is found in just the pure fact that you're in a relationship with each other. It's delight found in the person. You delighting in them, them delighting in you. Which makes marriage, I think, have some of the greatest potential, doesn't it, for, for delight. When we think about marriage, marriage is an ongoing, committed relationship. And in the best, most healthy, mature versions of marriage, what's happening in that sort of ongoing, committed relationship is an opportunity to delight in one another over the course of a lifetime. And over the course of a life, married together, there's a lot of different experiences Sometimes you have the great house, sometimes it's not so great a house. Sometimes the children are great, sometimes not so great. Uh, there's ups, there's downs, and all sorts of different things. But if there's delight in one another, that always remains, can only grow. Delight is found, I think, in the most best sense, in the most pure sense, when we begin to find delight in one another, in our relationships. So this is the, the mind-blowing thing to think about, the thing that sort of just is stunning if you consider this. What I just described is true for our relationship with God. That when God describes a relationship with us, and this is, we've been talking about this, right, for the last uh, week. I mean, I've been, I'm always talking about this. Uh, the fact that God describes a relationship with us in some of the strongest, most intimate terms possible. He says it, it feels like a marriage, and like the very best marriage. And there's a lot of ways of describing what a very good marriage should feel like. But the way we're pulling from this morning is to say, what it should feel like to be in a relationship with God is it should feel like joy and happiness. It should feel like delight. That God is in a forever relationship with us. And in that relationship, God is saying, I delight in you. 
I enjoy you. So the God of the universe is wanting us to understand very clearly he's not with us out of obligation. He's not with us because he sort of got shamed into it, got tricked into it. God doesn't impatiently check his watch when he's spending time with us. Saying, I wonder when this is going to be over. It's court appointed. I just got to do it. <laughs> then I got to go. That's, that's not how God relates to us. The Bible says God has a relationship with us that he chooses to be in. He chooses to be with you. He says, I'm going to be in a relationship with you. You're going to be part of my people. He chooses to be with you out of joy, out of delight. He enjoys us and delights in us. I would argue this is sort of set up for us in the very beginning of the Bible. Look at Genesis chapter 1. After God creates humanity, he declares it to be very good. So out of all the days of creation, when God is making the sun, the moon, I mean, there's some really good things in creation, right? The sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, all these different things, and he says it's good. Declaration of how he feels of, of, of what's happened here. It's good. It's a statement of what it is and God's experience of it. This is a good thing. I, I enjoy this. It's a good thing that I've created. It's only after the sixth day when humanity is created, when man and woman are created, does God say, very good. So God is saying something very particular about hum human beings. He's saying that you and me, he has a special attention towards. He especially finds us good. He especially delights in us. Especially finds joy in us, in the creation of us. But as I said, the joy, delight, is especially realized in relationship. So God creates humanity, but then decides and says, I'm going to have a special relationship with the people. I'm going to choose a people for myself. I'm going to invite them to come into a relationship with me. And it's there in that context, you see God establishing what we, again, we described as committed relationship. The Bible uses this word covenant, which is the Bible's word of saying a committed relationship. God says, I'm going to have a people, commit myself to them, and the Bible says it's going to be a commitment, a relationship, a delight. God very specifically says, I delight to be with them. I want joy for them. I enjoy them. I delight in them. So some verses that speak to this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 64, 62, verses 4 to 5. You, you see very explicitly the connection between us being in this marriage, this covenant relationship with God, and it being one of delight. So here's how God describes the relationship he has with his people back then. So this is Israel uh, in the Old Testament, and it says, God says, you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed des desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The Lord is saying, I'm not going to abandon you. And Israel had done some, some crazy stuff. <laughs> Betrayal, rejection of God, all those things. And God is sort of saying, and this will, we'll, we'll carry this a little bit more later on in the sermon, just how God's intention towards us despite our reaction to him. But for now, just notice how God is speaking. I'm going to stick with you. And I'm not just doing it sort of reluctantly, begrudgingly. I'm going to be with you with joy. I'm going to rejoice over you. I'm going to delight in you. Here's another one. This is one of my favorites in the Bible. This is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you, or in other words, he will soothe you by his delight. He will exult over you with loud singing. When God is with his people, he says, I'm going to commit to be with them. 
The Bible says here he celebrates over that. He sings over that. If you're riding in the car with God, God is the, God is the kind of person who has the windows down, sunroof open, and he's singing at the top of his lungs. That's how God rides around with you, right? No quiet singing in his car, right? If you're riding with God, he exults with you in loud singing. I wonder what kind of songs he sings over you. Definitely not country, but a lot of other songs, right? <laughs> Scott is looking at me like, <laughs> well, he's God, so yes, for those of you who like him, I'm sure he'll be that way, <laughs> all right? But he sings, <laughs> amen to that. Uh, he sings with us with loud singing. That's how he experiences us, with joy, with delight. I want to be with this people. I am with this people, and I will stay with this people. This is uh, Psalm 18, verses 18 to 19. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So when we're in trouble, in danger, God is quick to respond. He's quick to save us. And you could say, well, he's doing it because it's, it's his job, right? It's his habit. No, God says he does it because he delights in us. He takes pleasure in us. So a relationship with God is God saying, I delight in you. I'm not upset at the fact that you're around. <laughs> I'm not sort of thinking about, man, like, I, how did I end up in this place? God's experience, uh, his, his desire for a relationship with the people to be one of joy and delight. And it's not a one-way street. The Bible says, I delight in you, and I want you to delight in me. To be in a relationship with God, to be in the spiritual marriage with God, is to know that God is saying, I want you to experience me not as just someone, I, I, as, as God, we, experience, we have to experience God as God. He's Lord, he's king, he's all those different things. But God is saying, he personalizes it and says, I want you to enjoy me. Know me deeply. So notice a couple of these verses that speak to this. So, uh, Psalm 37, verse 4. Notice, delight yourself in the Lord, in the Lord, in who he is. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 70, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Psalm 43, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Not just my joy, my exceeding joy. And I'll praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Uh, Philippians uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. As I said before, this is not a relationship that's going to be based on fear, on shame, or even obligation. I mean, it could be those things. A relationship with God could be based on those things because of who God is. God said, look, you should fear me. I mean, look what I, look what I can do. Certainly, there's a sense of obligation. He made us. And so that, that's an initial way in which we can relate to God. But that's not really the description, the full description of what God wants for a relationship with us. The full description is that, the Bible is that God wants a relationship with us to be like a marriage to what he for us to know joy and delight in him, to enjoy God, to enjoy him in all his goodness, in his greatness, to know that all that is in your life and to feel delight in that, the fact that this is who God is and we get to experience that in a relationship with him. He delights in us and we get to delight in him. Now, anytime, of course, we start here and we tell this story, as you know, if you've been here throughout the sermon series or times I've touched on this topic, this is a story that always starts this way. God is moving towards us in love, 
and, and the ways in which I just described the way he does that, right? The kind of passion and intimacy and kind of delight, as we were talking about this morning, he has in us. But as we know, those are the early chapters of the story. In those chapters, we also see that our response to God was not in the same way. A lot of ways to describe how we have not responded to God in the same way he's responded to us. But the way we want to think about this morning is particularly how we did not respond by looking to God in the same way to delight in him the way he's delighted in us. We see the invitation from God to delight in him and to say, look who I am, delight in me, know me, enjoy me. And yet the testimony of the Bible, what we see from human history is that we've looked to other things to delight in. We thought other things would provide delight and joy for us. And really what the Bible says and from, and from human history has shown is those things don't pay off. Anything that we look to for ultimate hope, joy, and delight has to fail. What we do is, I think we, we treat the world like a, a naive person who's hiking through a forest and comes across a berry like this. So imagine someone sort of naive, who's, who's a little bit hungry, kind of self-confident, thinks like, well, I don't know a lot, but like, I, that looks good. <laughs> that can't be so bad. <laughs> he takes a bite from that. What they would find later on is that is a pokeweed berry, right? I learned this recently because I'm that kind of naive person. <laughs> uh, it's a pokeweed berry. It looks good. It looks juicy. But if you eat of it, it has a toxin in it that will cause diarrhea, uh, that will cause nausea, cramps, and can kill you, right? <laughs> so that first taste would be pretty juicy, you will quickly regret if you were to take a couple bites from this berry out in the wilderness. I want to suggest a lot of things in this life present themselves in the same way. Nice and juicy, juicy invitation to delight. Yet they don't pay off. They don't pay off ultimately. Initially it can be that way. I'm not meaning mean to suggest that there's not that like there's not things in this world that aren't good and delightful. And we use the word ultimate. It's the degree in which we think we base our relationship ultimately in the things that the world offers that says this is where you should put, put your, your hopes and your trust. It's the degree in which we put our ultimate hopes. We think our ultimate delight is going to be found in the things that are offered around us. So I was just thinking kind of the kind of things that are offered around us. This, I mean, this is not a complete list, but just think about some of the most popular messages out there that say this is where you're going to find your joy. This is where delight is. Again, these things can work. The promise of having stuff. I, I mean, I like my stuff. Some of you know I'm a, a kind of low-key, well, I'm not low-key. I'm, I'm a big sneakerhead, right? So <laughs> there's things there that I like that I have in my closet. Maybe it's technology for you. Maybe it's clothes. Maybe it's a certain size house or car. It's the promise of having stuff. For some of you, it's the promise of what I say, consumption. Take this, eat this, consume this, and it will give you joy and delight. There's a lot of things like that. Food, drugs, alcohol, sex. Take more of this, and it will give you delight. The promise of success. Wherever, however you define success. For some of you, it's once you reach a certain number of followers on your social media. For others of you, it's reaching that certain position at the, the job. Maybe for some of you, it's once I finally make the team, I'm on varsity. For some of you, it's once I get into a certain school. And whatever you define success, the promise is put your ultimate hope here. This is where you'll find delight and joy. Another thing that's out there is the promise of power. You can define power in different ways. Maybe it's the promise of having political power or social power or financial power or even religious power. Whatever it is, all those things offer different things. And they offer things initially that are good and that are decent. I'm not suggesting that those things can't be good or enjoyed, 
the point I'm making here is the degree in which those things become our ultimate hope, our ultimate joy. Those things, some of those things can kill you literally, right? We consume them too much. We enter into too much. Spiritually speaking, they will kill you. Because, again, what we're doing here is trying to have a relationship with things and people sometimes. that It, it can't bear it up. It can't be all it's supposed to be. It can't be all it should be. In many ways, we haven't learned from our original sin. You think back to Genesis 3, what was happening in the Garden of Eden? The Bible describes Eve looking at the fruit of the tree, and one of the things it says is she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. We've been doing this for a long time. What happens is we go based off what we see, what we think, or what we're told, and we stop there. God has other information for us, but we say, no, I'm going to trust in what I see, what I think of myself, or what other people tell me. I'm going to say, and they're told me, this is a delight, this is something I can enjoy. And we go in that path, and what it leads to is alienation. Alienation from God, alienation from one another. We should learn, but we make the same mistake. We keep making the same mistake. Fortunately for us, when God speaks of delighting in us, that delight is couched in the fact that God is saying, I'm committed to you. His delight in us is not going to be based in us delighting in him. If it was, I mean, God should be done with us. God's love for us, the Bible says, and a word, a great word to use here, is it's unconditional, isn't it? It's not based on the condition of us loving him, being perfect, or following him in the ways that we should. God's commitment to us is based on him, on who he is. God made a commitment to his people before the world began. Before the world began, God said, I'm going to have follow through on this promise to you. And that came through, of course, in Jesus. And what you see in Jesus is essentially, what does Jesus do? Essentially take the poison of our sin into himself, doesn't he? So we've poisoned ourselves by pursuing other things besides God. And the Bible says Jesus is essentially taking the consequences of that sin. We should die for what we've done. And God says, I'm coming to you in Jesus, now die in your place. Like there's no escaping the poison that's in your soul, in your heart. But God, being God, is able to take it onto himself and accept those consequences. And the result is that because he's God, he dies for us, but he rises from the dead. That's what we believe happens on that Easter morning, and that tells us something different about who we now can be. That resurrection life is life that we now have now too. But the Bible uses this great word, that we're born again. When you hear that word born again, is the Bible basically saying you can press the reset button on your life. Think about this. For some of you, you might think, well, this is the only life I have. I'm trapped in this life. There is actually one way in which you can press the giant reset button on your life. That's Jesus. God comes to us in Jesus, allows us to press a reset button, and that reset button puts something different in you. It puts the Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God now gives you the wisdom to see things for what they are, to understand the false promises that are there, and the willpower to now finally see those things can't give me delight, only God can. Only God can, he's done so in and through Jesus. He's made it possible for me to have that delight. No delight. And here's the sort of the turn we want to make. This delight, once you're born again, once you're remade, the delight you now have in God becomes something that becomes very real now in your everyday life in relationship with him. It doesn't have to be something that's out there. Yes, we delight in God and who he is, and one of the most practical ways God allows us to delight in him and to know them is now in the context of other people who've experienced the same thing. God's delight in us flows from God to us and now flows among us. This is the power of, I think, church community at its very best. We think about God's delight in his relationship with us. 
we who are in a relationship with one another get to do right the same thing because of the God who's in us. Remember, in Jesus, we now have by his spirit God's affection, his fondness, his satisfaction. All of that, if you imagine like this, this sort of water that you're swimming in, is the same water other people swim in. And that just allows you to see people differently, to relate to them differently, to delight in them. So one of the ways, I think there's two ways I want to sort of really actualize this. One big practice for us to then, in delighting in God, to then specifically apply it in how we delight one another. And then one big motivation. So one big practice for us, we're going to delight in God being experienced and delight with one another. We need to prioritize being with one another. The power of just showing up. If you've been around me for a while, it feels like I've sort of said that in multiple ways. I, I'm on that tip right now. <laughs> it's true. It's, I, I think it's something I've been seeing more and more in the Bible, and I'm sort of seeing it from different angles. Something I, I think I've always seen there, but I'm seeing it especially now. How much, how much a relationship with God basically is about God just saying, I'm going to be with you. You realize this? When God says, I'm going to be in a relationship with you, what grounds it, what drives it, is basically God saying, I'm going to be with you and not leave you. I'm going to stick with you. And in the same way God says that to us, I'd say one of the ways in which we begin to really know that and experience that and live that out is doing that with one another. It's prioritizing being with each other, creating the context by which we have enough experiences together so that when we think about what, how am I going to delight on other people? Well, I have all sorts of experiences to show my delight in other people. All sorts of ways in which, and so all sorts of opportunities to know delight in one another. Because we prioritize actually being with one another. Regularly being with one another. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Paul says, I have to see you. I need to be with you. That's where my joy will be. That's where my delight will be. Now, you may look at that and think, well, Paul, Timothy's his boy, right? I mean, of course, he's happy to be with him, right? I'm happy to be with my friends, too. Well, then we have Romans chapter 15. Paul writes this to the Roman church. He prays that he may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. He's heading to Jerusalem, but he hopes he doesn't get trapped there. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Paul has never met the Roman church. When he writes the letter to Rome, he's actually never met these Christians. He knows about what's going on there. So he's writing to people he doesn't know, and yet notice what he says there. I intend to be there, and I expect there to be joy and refreshment. How can he say that? Because they're in the same God that he delights in, that he is. He writes to people with almost the, the, the expectation that because if we're together in the war, and I know you are, I know about your church, I can't wait to be with you. I'm going to prioritize being with you. I'm not going to sail around. I need to be with you. Let's look at John chapter 12, or, or verse 12, I should say. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. John's happy that he could write to them, but he says the complete measure of joy and delight is going to come when I'm in your presence. Right? When I'm there together with you, reading what I've written talking with one another, being with one another. So I think the Bible wants to say, we delight in God because God is delighted in us and we have presence together with him. And one of the ways we can experience that is together with other people, right? God with us, us with one another. So the delight in, I mean, we have so many great opportunities just organized for you, right? 
in the life in the life of our normal church. Here at Roosevelt, we have, of course, our Sunday morning. We have our communities. We have Tuesdays at Roosevelt coming up. We have all these different various groupings. We have young adult ministry, student ministry. All these ways formally, but then, of course, life is more than just, hey, we decided to come together in these formal, large group ways. There's all the other things that we get to do together that we get to prioritize with one another. That God says, when we do that, it's an opportunity to experience joy together in the Lord, which leads to joy of one another. It's the walks around downtown, right? To go to a local coffee shop or restaurant. It's serving together or helping one another for different things. It's the picnics, the sports, the movies, the shared holiday celebrations, the shared trips. All those different things get infused with something special. You have been born again with other people and brought together in the love of God and Christ. That's one big uh, practice uh, that should be at the center of us knowing what it is to delight in God, how we pursue delight in one another, prioritizing being with one another. One big motivation I want to give to us is this, is to think, first of all, what people can and should be and will be with us before we think of what we see. Because what I'm talking about here is hard, right? I, I, I can say this, and I, I say this, and yet, you know, my own sort of selfishness at times brings other people in mind that, like, well, I like, you know, those people, but these people, <laughs> I don't see something there. I, it's hard. It's too hard to sort of want to be there, to be in relationship with them. It's been hard to find delight and joy this particular time. And, I, and I'm not trying to brush over that. I'm just going to give motivation and fuel to this, and it's this. For the places where it's hardest to do that, one of the things that keeps us going is to remember to not just see people where who people are right now, but to see who they are in Christ. To remember who they are. If they're believing in Christ, if they've come to the same place you have, that's who they are right now. They're in Christ. But to see Jesus in them, but especially to see what Jesus will be in them. To celebrate and rejoice over that. That's one of the primary motivations, isn't it? To see people better than they even see themselves. Better than you see them. To see them the way Jesus sees them. Ephesians 5 says this. Um, talks about how Jesus loved us to the point of giving up his life for us. And he gives up his life for us because he has this vision of what we, the church, will be one day. That it's his joy and delight to give up his life for us so that, notice what it says here, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus sees you holy and without blemish. You're not there now. Oh, you know that. <laughs> I'm not there now. But Jesus sees you there already. And he loves you to the point of giving up his life for you. Stick with him to that point. If Jesus can see you this way, the Bible says we can see each other this way. It says we're in Jesus. The spirit is in us. Think about the difference it makes. Here's something to rejoice and delight in. Here's where we are now. But to know day by day as we are in relationship with one another, here's where we'll be one day. One day there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more evil, but we will see and know each other at our very best. At our very best. I mean, think about the very best version of yourself. To know, I mean, that's, that version of yourself I know 100% correct. I can't wait to be in a relationship with that person. And because I can't wait for that now, the Bible says we can be in a relationship now, right now, for where we'll be one day. This is why Jesus is with us. It's what motivates us to keep going and to stay going. God delights in us. He enjoys us. He likes us. He's done so 
to the point of rescuing us and bringing us together in Jesus Christ. And we get to live that now, don't we? To love and grow each other. Let me pray that we would see in the same way God sees us, that we would live out the ways in which God calls us to live out that. Lord, thank you for the times we've had together. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. And Lord, I do pray for how Lord, we more and more, Lord, would begin to, Lord, be mesmerized, uh, stunned by the fact that the God of the universe enjoys us, sings loudly and clearly. Lord, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord God, as that sits in our hearts, Lord, we recognize that that same delightful love of the Father allows us to then delight in each other. That we recognize, Lord, your work in us. So, Lord, help us to see, Lord, the great power of the relationships we have, the precious Lord, forgive us for where we don't. Lord, remove from our hearts and lives the siren call, <laughs> the false promise of other things that say delight in us. Put your love and hope in us. Lord, you speak against them right now, but do not. Because you have no claim over them. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that all things ultimately fade, fade in measure of what it is to be in relationship with you and to love you. So, Lord, grow with us. Lord, help us to see your goodness, your goodness to other people. Help us see your greatness, see the greatness of others. Lord, help us to see, Lord, your power as you have that shown in the greatest of us. Help us to see more and more all who you are in our lives and in others. Lord, may that lead to a beautiful fruit, one that will shine like a candle. Thank you, we love you, and pray this in